0: Hebrews chapter 9, starting at verse 11. Hebrews 9, verse 11. But Christ came as high priest of the good things to come, with a greater and more perfect tabernacle not made with hands, that is, not of this creation, Not with the blood of goats and calves, but with his own blood, he entered the most holy place once for all, having obtained eternal redemption. For if the blood of bulls and goats and the ashes of a heifer, sprinkling the unclean, sanctifies for the purifying of the flesh, how much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God, cleanse your conscience from dead works to serve the living God? And for this reason he is the mediator of the new covenant, by means of death, for the redemption of the transgressions under the first covenant, that those who are called may receive the promise of the, of the internal inheritance. For where there is a testament, there must also of necessity be the death of the testator. For a testament is in force after men are dead, since it has no power at all while the testator lives. Therefore, not even the first covenant was dedicated without blood. For when Moses had spoken every precept to all the people according to the law, he took the blood of calves and goats with water, scarlet wool and hyssop, and sprinkled both the book itself and all the people, saying, This is the blood of the covenant which God has commanded you. Then likewise he sprinkled with blood both the tabernacle and all the vessels of the ministry. According to the law, almost all things are purified with blood, and without shedding of blood there is no remission. Therefore, it was necessary that the copies of the things in the heavens should be purified with these, but the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices than these. For Christ has not entered the holy places made with hands, which are copies of the true. But into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God for us. Not that he should offer himself often as the high priest enters the most holy place every year with the blood of another. He then would have had to suffer often since the foundation of the world. But now, once at the end of the ages, he has appeared to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. And as it is appointed for men to die once, but after this judgment... So Christ has offered once to bear the sins of many. To those who eagerly wait for him, he will appear a second time apart from sin for salvation. And In conjunction with this, we will also look at Lord's Day 5. Lord's Day 5. And we'll read this responsively together. I will read the questions. If you will read the answers. Lord's Day 5, page 874, in the back of your Trinity Psalter hymnal. Lord's Day 5, question and answer 12. According to God's righteous judgment, we deserve punishment both now and in eternity. How then can we escape this punishment and return to God's favor? God requires that his justice be satisfied. Therefore, the claims of justice must be paid in full, either by ourselves or by another. Can we make this payment ourselves? Certainly not. Actually, we increase our debt every day. Can another creature, any at all, pay this debt for us? No. To begin with god will not punish any other creature for what a human is guilty of furthermore no mere creature can bear the weight of god's eternal wrath against sin and deliver others from it what kind of mediator and deliverer should we look for then one who is true and righteous man yet more powerful than all the creatures that is one who is also true God. That is our confession. Well, beloved Lord's Day 5 marks a significant shift in the catechism. In Lord's Days 2 through 4, that you've looked at at the last number of weeks, our attention was focused on the misery of fallen mankind. It showed us what is true about ourselves. It showed us that we are guilty before God, that we deserve his perfect and holy justice. And Lord's Day 5 starts to shift the focus away from our guilt to the solution of our guilt. It shifts from guilt to grace or from sin to salvation in Christ. And in particular, Lord's Day 5 introduces us to this idea, the idea of a substitution, I say introduces us to this because we don't get the full picture in this Lord's Day. We get only a hint of this substitute. And we know, as Bible-believing Christians, that this substitute is none other than Jesus Christ. And the Catechism will go on to unpack how Christ is uniquely and singly suited to be our substitute. In Lord's Day 6, Reverend Swale will explore that next week for you. But this week, however, we're going to focus on the fact that Christ is is our substitute now i trust that we all understand what a substitute is when we play sports like hockey we need substitutes this is because we can't keep going for long periods of time we run out of energy this is why in certain leagues like the nhl the average length of time that a player is on the ice at any one time is anywhere from 30 to 45 seconds that is it And this is because during that short amount of time, they are giving everything that they've got. They're giving 100% of their effort. They are playing their very hardest, which means that they can't play for a long period of time before uh, running out of energy. They can't keep going. And so they shift off. They need a substitute. And so they can rest, and so that fresher players can get on the ice. Children, we also have this in school, don't we? Every once in a while, our teacher doesn't show up to school because they are sick. And so in their place comes a substitute teacher. The point is that a substitute takes the place of another, particularly when the original can't keep going. Beloved, what we're going to see this afternoon in Hebrews 9 is that this is exactly what our Lord Jesus Christ does for us. He is our substitute. He takes our place. He does what you and I cannot do. He endures our punishment. He takes upon himself our guilt. He pays for our sin, all so that we can be restored to the beauty of fellowship with Almighty God. So this is what we're going to look at this afternoon in Lord's Day 5 and Hebrews 9. We're going to look at it in three points. First, we're going to see or look at our need for a substitute, Second, we're going to look at what cannot be our substitute. And finally, we are going to see our only substitute. First, then, we need to recognize that substitution is needed. It is not an optional thing, but it is a necessary substitution. Substitution. If we think back to playing hockey, when we were younger, perhaps, we want those shifts to be as long as possible. We don't want to come off the ice. We want to keep on going. We have so much energy that we just want to stay on. But when we start to get older, the idea of shifting suddenly becomes a little bit more enticing. We don't mind those shorter shifts. Perhaps we feel the need for them a little bit more acutely. We see the benefits a little bit more. An important part of our faith, beloved, is the recognition that we need a substitute in our faith. In fact, we have no hope without this substitute. The last few Lord's Days in the Catechism have shown us just how hopeless we are if we are left on our own. Question 12 of Lord's Day 5 reminds us of this hopelessness. It reminds us that God's perfect justice must be satisfied, that His anger must be paid. His judgment must be endured. And this is what Lord's Day 4 was all about. It is a part of the very character of our God that His justice requires judgment for our sin. And it's question 13 that humbles any pride that may be in our hearts and puts us in our proper place. It says, can we make this payment for ourselves? And the answer is certainly not. Notice that it is not a simple no, but it is an emphatic no. It is certainly no. It is without a doubt no. Catechism continues, actually, we increase our debt every day. Being in debt can be a bit of an unsettling feeling, can't it? Even more unsettling is when debt keeps on increasing. Sometimes our income cannot sufficiently cover for the unplanned emergencies of our lives. Maybe it's your car that had a catastrophic breakdown requiring you to buy a new one. So you need to take out a car loan to replace it. And then the very next week, your furnace breaks down, meaning that you have to now replace that as well. And so you take out a line of credit. But then the next week, it's the hot water heater that goes. The debt begins to snowball, and every new emergency plunges us deeper and deeper into debt that we cannot pay. Beloved, this is what happens between us and a holy God. We cannot even make the initial payment of God's justice, and yet we increase that debt every single day because of the ongoing sin of our hearts. And the reason that we cannot even pay the initial payment of God's wrath is because that payment is simply too large. You and I can never pay it. Question 12 tells us that we must pay the full payment of God's justice before we can return to God's favor. But you and I can't do that. And the reason why we can't do that is because what God requires from us, the payment that we need to give, is death. It is the ultimate death judgment there is nothing more extreme than death there is no coming back from death it's an eternal judgment it is a final judgment it is a lasting judgment and it shows us just how great our debt truly is this is why god tells us in hebrews 9 particularly what god tells us in hebrews 9 particularly in verse 23 Therefore, it was necessary that the copies of the things in the heavens should be purified with these, but the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices than... That's the wrong verse, sorry. That is the wrong verse. Indeed, under the law, almost everything is purified with blood, and without the the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. This is the conclusion that the writer of Hebrews draws after reflecting on how blood was necessary in the temple to purify it. In verse 18, he says, Therefore, not even the first covenant was inaugurated without blood. Part of the cleansing of the people of Israel from their sin was accomplished by the sprinkling of the blood of calves and goats. It was mixed with water. It was sprinkled over the people and over the book of the covenant, over the tent of the tabernacle itself, and all the furniture and the cups and the candle holders. What this blood represented was the life of the animal. This is because without blood, we die. And so the shedding of blood means death. And the point is that something needed to die. That is the path to purification. That is the punishment for sin. And that is the point of what Hebrews is saying, without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. Or in other words, the wages of sin is death. God's justice must be satisfied, and His justice requires the ultimate price, and that is our life. This means, beloved, that our sins deserve death. We deserve to die. And not just any death, but it is an eternal death, an eternal separation from the love of God. The debt is so large because the offense is so large. This is because God's holiness is so pure that every offense against it plunges us into an eternal debt. It's sort of like how murderers face multiple life sentences. So great are their crimes, there's no hope of them being freed again. And so it is with our sin. So great of an offense is even the smallest of our sins against a holy God that we incur multiple life sentences. Beloved, this is the debt that we cannot pay. There is no way for you or for me to satisfy it. There is no way to pay the debt by ourselves and return to the favor of our, and fellowship of our God. This is because we cannot die and then make ourselves live. We cannot revive ourselves from death. We cannot be reconciled to God through our own death because we cannot survive that death. The catechism makes the same point in the second half of answer 14 when it says, No mere creature can bear the weight of God's eternal wrath against sin. Creatures like you and me, we are incapable of enduring God's wrath. This is why we need something to stand in our place. This is why, beloved, we need a substitute. And God knows this. Our God has always known this. Already back in the Old Testament temple, the people and the temple were purified by the blood of bulls and goats. It was not their own blood. Something else had to die in their place, and that something in the Old Covenant was the sacrifices of the animals. Their blood was shed in the place of God's people. This means that the idea of a substitute is not something new, it does not just appear for us in the pages of the New Testament out of nowhere. Rather, substitution has been at the heart of the gospel since the very beginning. It has been from the beginning because death is not something that we can survive. God has always recognized our need for a substitute. So the question, beloved, that we must wrestle with this afternoon is do we recognize our need for a substitute? The question, that is the question that confronts us. We don't like to be dependent on others. That's wired into the very core of who we are as fallen human beings. We don't like to be needy. We, need, we, we like to be independent. And Christ calls us here to recognize, first of all, that you and I are so very desperately needy. He calls us to recognize how great our ever-growing debt before God is. Beloved, He, rec- he calls us to recognize that we need a substitute so first we see our need of a substitute secondly we must also see that not just anybody or anything can be our substitute question 14 of the catechism makes it clear that no other creature can pay this debt and the reason for that is a matter of justice God will not punish another creature for what humanity is guilty of. If humanity sinned, then humanity must pay. Think of it this way If I got pulled over on the way here for speeding, it would not make sense for my dog, if I had one, to receive the ticket. I must pay for my crime, just like humanity must pay for humanity's sin. Now we might be thinking what about the Old Testament? What about the covenant made with Moses? That covenant was full of animal sacrifices. Didn't the sacrifices of animals pay for the sins of Israel? How can the Catechism say that an animal can't pay for a human sin when we have the whole history of Old Testament Israel pointing us in the opposite direction? Well, beloved, Hebrews 9 gives us the answer to that. The whole point of Hebrews 9 is to show how the covenant made with Moses has been surpassed. The Old Covenant has been replaced with a new covenant, a better covenant. This means that animal sacrifices of the Old Covenant, while they were good, they were limited. And as an example, we can look at the Day of Atonement. The Day of Atonement was a ceremony that happened once a year, and as its name suggests, it was all about atonement, about the payment for the sins of God's people. And at the heart of the Day of Atonement was the sin offering that involved two goats, the first goat would be slaughtered and offered on the altar. The blood of this goat would be brought into the temple, into the Holy of Holies, and be sprinkled on the mercy seat. And this blood, it's, this life was the substitute for the people of Israel. The goat died, paid the penalty for their sin in the place of the people of Israel. It took the judgment in the place of God's people. The second goat was also part of the sin offering, and it would, but it would not be killed. Instead, Aaron would lay his hands on its head and confess the sins of Israel. And this symbolized the putting on of all the sins of God's people onto the goat. The goat would then be released into the wilderness. It symbolizes the removal of the sins of God's people. It was called the scapegoat. And both goats were substitutes. Both goats took the place of God's people so that they could be restored to God's favor. So that they could be purified from their sins and experience the forgiveness of their sins. Yet the writer of Hebrews tells us that they were limited substitutes because they were only able to provide a surface purification. They could only purify the flesh, not the heart. This is what Hebrews tells us in verse 13. The blood of goats and bulls and the sprinkling of defiled person with the ashes of a heifer sanctify for the purification of the flesh. This means that the purification that happened through the blood of bulls and goats was only a ceremonial cleansing. The blood itself did not cleanse the sinner from his or her sins. The writer of Hebrew tells us why in the next chapter, in chapter 10, verse 4. Where he says, For it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. It is impossible. But if this is the case, then what is the point of the whole Old Testament sacrificial system? Why did they go through so much effort to sacrifice all these animals that didn't actually remove their sins? And the answer is that these sacrifices played an important but limited role in the Old Testament. God told Israel to follow all these special sacrifices because they pointed forward to that better sacrifice to come, to the one and the only sacrifice that could truly remove their sin and their guilt. All of the Old Testament sacrificial ceremonies were signs of what is to come. It's just like signs on our highways. They let us know what's coming up at the next exit. They let us know when there's a gas station or when there's a McDonald's or there's a Tim's. And this is what all of these ceremonies did. They pointed God's people to the future. They pointed them forward. This means that in and of themselves, they did not save. In and of themselves, the sacrifices of goats did not pay for sin. And yet, beloved, through faith, the people of Israel did experience the forgiveness of their sins through them. As they recognized that they pointed forward to this true sacrifice to come. By faith, the people of Israel recognized that the blood of a goat was a picture of the blood of the coming Messiah, the one who would truly take away their sins. Beloved, the sacrifices of the Old Testament were gospel pictures. This is why the Old Testament is so incredibly important even for us today. There's a trend uh, in the broader evangelical world to think that we don't need the Old Testament anymore because we have Christ. We don't sacrifice goats and sprinkle blood anymore, so why do we need to read about all that stuff? How is it actually useful? And yet the Old Testament is still so incredibly important to us because it helps us understand more deeply all that our Savior has done for us. And all the stuff of ceremony and blood, we are shown the gospel. And all that stuff, we are shown what Jesus Christ accomplished for us. This, at least in part, is why we still need the Old Testament. This is where Hebrew 9 takes us in our final focus. It shows us our only substitute. In Hebrews 9, the author of Hebrews is contrasting the old sacrificial system with the new sacrifice of Christ. He starts in verse 11 by showing how Christ is the greater high priest of a greater temple. I'm going to read it in the ESV because I don't trust my verse references anymore. But when Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things that have come, then through the greater, more perfect tent, not made with hands, that is, not of this creation, he entered once for all into the holy places, not by means of the blood of goats and calves, but by means of his own blood, thus securing eternal redemption. What Hebrews is saying here is that just like Aaron was the high priest of that Old Testament temple, so Christ is the high priest of the greater temple, which is the heavenly presence of God. In the earthly temple, the high priest would be the only one allowed into the presence of God in the Holy of Holies, and he could only ever do that once a year on that Day of Atonement. And the Holy of Holies is God's throne room. It is the place where His presence rested. Well, that earthly temple was only a picture of the real throne room of God, the heavenly throne room of God. And it is Christ who is the greater high priest of this perfect heavenly throne room. It is Christ who entered into the presence of God on our behalf. Verse 24 says, For Christ entered not into the holy places made with hands, which are copies of the true things, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God on our behalf. And just as the high priest offered the blood of the goat to God on the mercy seat as a substitute for our lives, so Christ offered a better sacrifice in the heavenly presence of God. He offered not the blood of a goat, but beloved, he offered his own blood for our sins. And this blood is so much better for a number of reasons. First, it's better because it is given voluntarily. Verse 14 tells us how much more, meaning how much better will the blood of Christ who through the eternal spirit offered himself. Goats and bulls did not go willing. They were dragged to the altar. Their lives were taken from them. But Christ offered his life. He gave it as a ransom. He willingly took our place. Christ's substitution was a loving substitution. John tells us in John 15, greater love has no one than this, than someone lay down his life for his friends. Christ's substitution is greater because it's an expression of the boundless love of God for his people but that's not all. Second, Christ's blood is better because it purifies deeper. The blood of bulls and goats could only purify ceremonially. This is as far as they could go. But the blood of a Christ purifies our consciences, says verse 14. This means it purifies us spiritually. Christ offers himself through the eternal spirit, meaning that we no longer are on Meaning that we are no longer on a surface level, but we are into the heart, to the place where corruption truly lies. This is the realm of the purification of Christ's blood. This is what is purified. Verse 12 identifies this purification as eternal redemption. Redemption means being freed. It's a picture of a slave who is being bought from a slave market, of having his shackles then removed. And that person who purchased him, being, telling him that you are free to go. This is what Christ does. He redeems us not only from the punishment of sin, that eternal death, but beloved, he also frees us from the power of sin. We are no longer slaves to sin, says Paul. This brings us to the third reason why Christ's substitutionary blood is so much greater, which is because his sacrifice is a once for all sacrifice. Verse 12 said that he entered once for all into the most holy place. And again, the point is emphasized in that the redemption he secures is an eternal redemption, it's not a temporary redemption. Verses 25 and 26 continue the thought, nor did Christ enter the presence of God to offer himself repeatedly as the high priest enters the holy place every year with the blood not his own. For then he would have had to suffer repeatedly since the foundation of the world. But as it is, he has, once, he has appeared once for all at the end of the ages to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. The point is that his blood is a blood that pays for all of our sins once for all. His sacrifice and his alone is effective to satisfy to the full, the perfect and holy wrath of God. The freedom won by Christ from death and from the power of sin is an eternal redemption. It is ours forever. It cannot be lost. It never needs to be repeated. This means that the sins that we have committed, committed, each and every one of them, and the sins that we will commit are all ready, paid for by Christ. In Christ, we are forgiven completely. It is finished. That is the cry of Jesus Christ from the cross. That, beloved, is the glorious cry of our one and only substitute. That is the cry of the one who stood in our place. That is the cry of the one whose sacrifice surpasses all others. Here then is the blood that is required so that you and I can be restored to God. Here is the death that alone can satisfy God's demands for justice. Here is the better sacrifice. Here is the only substitution that can set us free that truly pays for all of our sins and is the blood of our Savior Jesus Christ. I'm not sure when you are next going to have the privilege of participating in the sacrament of the Lord's Supper. But when you do, take the cup of wine. Think deeply on that. Think deeply on the words that Christ says. He says, drink of it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. And when we drink, the words that are said, take, drink, remember, and believe that the precious blood of our Lord Jesus Christ was shed for the complete forgiveness of all of our sins. It is not your blood represented in that cup. It is not your blood that paid your debt to your children of God. It is Christ's. It is the blood of your perfect substitute. And so remember and believe that in your place, condemned, he stood. And then, beloved, rejoice and give thanks at the graciousness of our God. Amen. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we are so thankful for the beauty of the gospel Sometimes we read through the Old Testament, and we see all of this uh, documentation of blood and animals and, and death and all these things, and we wonder, why is this so important? And so when we get to the New Testament, we see that all these things are pointing to the very thing that you have accomplished for us in the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Father, we are so thankful for the magnitude of your love that you sent your son to take what is ours. You gave his life as a ransom for us. You you sent him in our place as our substitute. And Father, we pray that you would help us to grab hold of this gospel truth and faith, that we would grab hold of it and believe it that we would be assured in the confidence of knowing that you have done for us what we cannot do. You have restored us to God Almighty. Father, we are so very grateful for all that you provide for us. May we lay hold of it in faith.